Welcome to Gab Podcast number four, where we talk to creative folk doing interesting things. My name's Graham, and in this episode we chat to designer and art director Kirsten Murray, a globetrotting creative currently based in Brussels, after a few years designing our way around the world. Kirsten, welcome to the Gab Podcast, it's really good to have you here. And we're only a few weeks in, um, but how has the start to 2020 been for you so far? Oh, this year so far, it's going well and um, I would say even better now that it includes being on the, the Gab podcast. I'm a fan. You're too kind, you're too kind. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it in, in Brussels, as you know, and uh, it's, it's really nice here because they actually keep the Christmas lights on um, and people still have their Christmas trees up. So uh, yeah, it's still feeling quite festive. Oh, that sounds great. And so you mentioned that there. So you're, you're, we're obviously in Glasgow and you're joining us today from Brussels. So Brussels, you've recently made your new creative home. Um, so what's mm-hmm. that been like? Um, why, why did you choose Brussels and what's it been like settling in for you? Well, the, um, I mean, it's a, it's a great city and I really love the architecture and the typography here. Um, and although I've been here for six months now, I still feel like I'm walking around like a tourist and everything's really interesting. Um, but moving to a new city definitely has its challenges. So I'm, I'm currently learning French. <laughs> how, are you fi- integrate. <laughs> how are you finding um, that? Is it is it challenging? Uh, comme si, comme ça, uh, way. Uh, I have um I have a French exam um on Thursday uh, that I'm practicing for. Uh, it's um it's definitely difficult because you feel like you can't really be yourself. Um, your your conversation is so basic. I can tell people that I like traveling in cats, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> the basics. Um, yeah, the basics. But um, it's it's a great experience. And um, I actually moved, I, I had no intention of, of um, moving to, to Belgium when I was, you know, this t- this time last year, I um, I would have had no, no idea I would have ended up here. But uh, when I was in New Zealand, I, uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but I met, met a man, I met a Belgian man there, and we fell in love. And uh, I've ended up moving here. Um, that's one of the benefits of being freelance and working remotely is you're not really tied to any particular place. It sounds like it sounds like a good script for a movie. Possibly, I don't know I don't, who would play me. I don't know. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that sounds super exciting. One of the, it's funny. One of the things I guess when you hear someone travelling and doing stuff, it's filled with that idea of, oh, I wish I could do that, and it sounds super exciting. Um, but you mentioned that challenging too. What What's the biggest challenge about deciding to move to a new city and just setting yourself up there from scratch? Um, I would actually say it probably comes down to the connections or or lack of. So. Obviously, when you're living in one place, you get to know people, you make friends, you find a community there. And um, whether that's something you find through work or the kind of, you know, activities you do outside of work um, or even kind of your old friends from school or university or college. And when you move to a new place and you don't know anyone, you just don't have that. Uh, And when you're in your 30s, trying to make friends is a really interesting experience Sometimes, you know, I'll be having a conversation with someone I've just met and think, they're great. And I'll just come out and say, do you want to be friends? Do you want to be my friend? Can I have your number? Um, But so I would say that that's probably something that I have found difficult. And then when I when I visit Scotland, I really feel that sense of belonging and community 
um, that you try and recreate elsewhere. I think it's interesting because I was um, we were talking about that um, before we came on the podcast and the idea that I think when you see people doing exciting things like travelling, like you're doing travelling and working, um, it's mm-hmm. super exciting and you look at someone's Instagram feed and I guess you can get that yeah. pang of jealousy that you're not doing it. Um, is, um, mm-hmm. How many moments of your uh, or your day or the last six months have been genuine Instagram moments and how much of it has been, I guess, a challenge to create a new space for yourself? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Well, I think because most of my, I love photography and most of my Instagram features photographs of of places I've I've been to and people I've met um, and and far less of myself. Um, And I would say that in the last couple of years, when I look back on those photos, to me, it's kind of like a diary. So I don't, I don't write a diary, but it's kind of a visual diary. And there have been, you know, weeks and sometimes whole months that have felt that exciting. Um, but I sometimes think if the camera had been turned on me, uh, it would be a very different feed. It would mostly be pictures of a um, sweaty, messy designer trying to prop up the uh, MacBook charger that's trying to fall out of a wall because the adapter's so big. Um, <laughs> and things like, um, you know, places I've been to that, uh, like Myanmar, um, I had my um, a taxi driver drove off with my backpack and I spent the the few days after it just washing my one pair of pants in the shower with me. <laughs> um, so it's it's kind of when you see it from that side, it's it's different. But I think it doesn't really matter where you are or what you're actually doing. There are, there are always going to be highs and lows. And when I left Scotland to work remotely, I approached it not as a I'm about to live the dream, but with more of a a realistic expectation that there would be days where I would maybe want to go out and explore a new place, but I had a deadline mm. or I, I knew I was probably going to get sick at some point or feel lonely. And that's probably, you know, one of the hardest things is when you spend that much time without other people, it can be very lonely. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky in that um, when I was, was traveling and constantly moving to new places, um, I met a lot of great people, some doing the same kind of thing, um, and was able to make friendships that um, hopefully will last forever. I'm, I'm interested, it's a couple of times there you've you've mentioned, I guess, friendships and meeting new people. Does, is that the sort of thing, mm. travelling, that comes naturally to you, or did you have to almost change yourself to be a bit more upfront with people or go out your way to meet new people? How have you found all that kind of stuff? No, I think that definitely comes naturally to me. Um, but something that I would say, um, I've definitely learned from, from traveling is, um, I I think you end up having to be a little bit more confident in new situations or just, um, a little bit more flexible. So I'm the kind of person I like to plan things in advance and with the, the kind of traveling and working I was doing, a lot of it's quite unpredictable. So I, I definitely had to learn things while traveling to adapt to that. Uh, but certainly in terms of being sociable and meeting new people, I found every country I went to uh, to be really welcoming. And I found it really easy to, to, to speak to people or not to speak to people because sometimes language was such a barrier that you could just sit with people and laugh, but not really speak about anything. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that that part wasn't particularly difficult. 
That sounds it sounds like it'd be a challenge actually. Um I think I'd find that a challenge. But kinda of going yeah. back a bit then, so we mm-hmm. spoke we're speaking about travelling, so this you're you're a, a, a global jet setting designer, um mm. with an amazing <laughs> amazing Instagram feed. But a couple of years ago <clears throat> I guess you were sitting working in Scotland, um and at some point mm-hmm. you've made a decision um to I guess shake up not just the work you do, but shake up your whole life. You decided to go mm-hmm. travelling, you decided to work while you were travelling and see that how that worked out can you give us a bit of background about how how you made that decision why you made that decision and then Mm. how did you practically how did you make the leap and what did you have to do in order to change your life here and just take that plunge into Mm. that exciting journey yeah it's um I think it's probably different for everybody who does this depending on what they're what they're leaving what they're going to and I'd I'd always loved traveling um, and I kind of did have those daydreams about running off with a backpack around the world, but I'd also built up a career and I'd reached a senior level and I really didn't want to stop creating and stop working. Um, and I, so the goal for me became to be able to do both. And um, in about 2015, I took part in um, Special Edition, which was a program created by TRC Media. And the idea was... It was created to to overcome the barriers uh, to women getting into board level and senior positions in the industry, in the tech and digital industry. And uh, I was selected for it. And one of the, the exercises they had the group do was to write down your goals. And I was pretty sure I knew what they were, but there was something about writing them down that felt like more of a commitment. Mm. Uh, to saying that I, this is actually something I'm going to work towards, not just some kind of dream or wish, it's something I'm really going to do. Um, so that was in 2015. And um, 2017, I was working for a design studio in Edinburgh. And around about this time, I really felt like I was ready for new challenges to move on to something else. But the prospect of doing the same job just for a different studio, it didn't excite me. And I knew then that this would be the right time to leave, to go freelance and to, and it's probably something you shouldn't do is go freelance and leave the country at the same time. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the sensible thing to do is probably build up freelance clients and become established and then, and then leave. But I guess I was taking a risk and I just, it felt like doing it all at once was just uh, the right thing for me to do. Um, and also, I think because I'd, I'd been in the industry and working for uh, companies for 12 years, it gave me this really good network of contacts. Um, and I think that made such a difference because as soon as I had announced that I was going freelance, I instantly then had recommendations and, and people would come to me for, for work. Um, so in terms of starting, um, it was it was fairly easy. Now, um, at the time of working in this design studio, I was working alongside another designer, Kat Summers, and uh, we became really good friends. Um, and she was also thinking about the next steps for her. So uh, like the good friend that I am, I convinced her to leave her job and come <laughs> travelling with me. So we, I take, uh, we, I take we it this was, all, this was all done over a glass of wine, I assume. Yeah. Oh, well. Um. Uh. Yeah. It was. Um, there was many an after work, uh, meet up and and chat about, um, what we were planning to do and um, and it. Yeah. I think it was just kind of. I don't really know when the the solid decision was made, but she she came with me for the first three months, 
Um, and that was a wonderful experience. Uh, and then she she went back to, to Glasgow. Uh, but we continued to work together. So that was another thing that kind of I hadn't really planned for, but kind of changed the way I was working remotely. And that was to have uh, a, a creative partner to work with on projects, uh, which really helped in terms of the time difference in some locations. Um, and just being able to split work as well with someone you've you've already worked with and um, as you know, like it's it's quite difficult to to come across good creative partnerships. But when you do and, and a project works well, you want to hold on to that. So, so it's quite an interesting setup you've got. I guess you've got the the idea of freedom um, being a freelancer um, and a sense of control over mm. what you've doing. But you also have a creative partner um, who you team up with. Um, you go under mm. the banner the Tits. Is that correct? And yes, we do. Yeah. And how how do you decide then when when is a project something you work on yourself and when is a project something that you collaborate with each other on? Mm, good question. So we we actually started the Tits not uh, as a, a company or or um, a partnership for doing a client work. But it was started to work on side projects, so just designs and projects that we fancied doing um, for the love of it. And um, it was it was only really when after we'd done our first side project together that we had the opportunity to work for a theatre uh, to do some work for them. And when a when a project comes in, I think there are two things I look at. One is um, whether there's kind of the the scale of a project to delegate parts of it and the other aspect is skill set as well um because i think it's great to be able to partner with people who can complement the skills that you have and offer something else and and also when you're working on any creative ideas having other people to bounce those off of to add to them it makes such a difference to a project um so i really like that that um, kind of business model um, and I think Jam Hot do it really well where you, 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 you're you a very small team but you partner with the right people for the right project um, and I, I think that it produces great results without having to be a, a really large agency. I think it, I think it's it's funny when we first started our studio we were we were very small and we used to be I guess mm. worried about that perception and I write the start so we used to try and make ourselves uh, sound bigger look and look bigger, bigger. Right, yeah right. and it's super it's yeah. so interesting now what we find it's um it's almost the opposite now you know you kind of wear yes. it as a badge of honour because you are able to Absolutely. be quite nimble um, yeah. how how do you find clients respond to that like a, a couple of questions in this I guess first of all mm. if you're saying to a client no matter where they they, they might be will I you know you're in the UK I'm here do you have to sell yourself mm-hmm. and get over barriers and the other thing as well when you're do you use your collaboration with your creative partner as a way to make yourself sound bigger so do you do you feel these things are important to mm. clients what size you are and where you are or is that just not an issue that you've you've found that's a really good question and I think it's actually something that quite a lot of uh, freelancers struggle with uh, so I've noticed that some you know in Twitter conversations people ask should I call myself by my name or should I have a company name to make it seem like I'm bigger than I am? And um, I find that you you attract the right clients for who you actually are. So I try to be as really open and honest as possible. Like I want people to know whether it's just me going to be working on something or myself and, and other people collaborating on it. And I was very open about when I was traveling where I was going to be based at the time of doing a project. 
And I find as a result, I attract clients that are more than happy to work like that. Mm, so yep. they're happy to have video calls. They're as long as the relationship is good and there's lots of communication and they're getting the work that they they need, then I've found the the distance to be no problem at all. There are some people who categorically want a designer who's local, who can actually go into their offices to meet up in, in person. Um, and I, I did worry that this was going to be something that would be a, a barrier to getting clients, that they would much prefer to have someone that's just around the corner. Um, but I think also once you've started doing work, then a lot of new business comes from recommendations. And so it's that recommendation that carries the weight and the power, not where you're based. Mm. Um, but like you were saying, I'm, I'm finding exactly the same, that some clients are coming to me and saying, hey, we've, we've used large agencies, we've paid big fees, and we've not really been happy with the results. So we'd much prefer to go for um, a smaller company or a freelancer for the work it's really interesting we find that a lot of the time yeah. i think we we struggle if sometimes to pitch against bigger companies because i think when um okay. when you're able to allocate resource behind it and when people can bring say four people to a meeting some people are impressed yeah. by that but what we always yeah. find that the feedback we've won quite a few clients over the years from jobs mm -hmm. we might have already we might have lost them at the start during a pitch but then the client's yes. not been particularly happy with the process and it doesn't mean the studio were bad it just means that what was mm -hmm. promised was different from what gets delivered where I think Actually like, delivered right yeah, yeah where I think as you're a smaller studio or, or, or freelancer you, it's quite clear who you are and what you're doing but it's you mm -hmm. do have to sell yourself sometimes I guess yeah definitely and and sometimes when you're writing a tender document uh, you know do you, do you speak about yourself in first person or <laughs> a third person is strange and um, I, I think that um, the the, the idea that large, I think if you've worked in an agency um, and you've, you've produced the creative work and you know how many people were in the team on a project, um, the kind of work I'm doing now is exactly the same. It's mm. no different. Um, but the difference might be that as well as being a designer and a copywriter on a job, I'm also doing the account management. Mm -hmm. So as a freelancer, you're definitely performing more roles, but the time spent on the client, the, the value they get um, is the same. Yeah, that's. I'm I, I quite interested in you were you were talking about. I think maybe in your your bio, you talk about being an art director, a designer, a copywriter. It's mm -hmm. quite refreshing to hear you taking on all those different roles. I, I remember speaking to a designer at an event years ago, and he was talking mm -hmm. about how he, he hates designers saying, I'm not a copywriter, I'm not a writer. Right. And he, he was right. very much of the fact that <clears throat> people need to stop saying what they're bad at and embrace that because most people right. can write a bit. And rather, mm -hmm. as a designer, rather than wait for another person to come, just try and get stuck into it. How, do yeah. you think that's important, um, operating freelance, to be able to turn your hand to different things or would you say that it's okay just to specialize in in one particular area and then bring in other people for other elements i i would say both i would say it's whatever you want to do um i think you know people come and say people should be specializing people should have a niche and then others will say you need to be a jack of all trades but actually i think that if a designer is really interested in coding and they learn to code and can offer that as an additional skill that's brilliant and then for me, I'm really interested in writing. Um, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. 
And because of the kind of career and experience I've had so far, I've learned to copyright for advertising in particular. And so I ended up doing so much of it that at some point I just thought, this is ridiculous. I'm being paid for it, but I just haven't put the words on my profile on my website. And um, I will admit I have occasionally removed it and put it back on because (laughs) um, interestingly, I get uh, imposter syndrome over that Mm, uh, where I feel like, do I have a right to call myself a copywriter when it's not what I do full time? Um, but I, the way I see it is if, if you're you're doing that and people like your writing and they're paying for it, then and, and it is a craft. So I don't think every designer needs to be able to write copy because it might be that they know the value of it and that they partner with a copywriter. Yes. Um, or they convince a client that they have to bring a copywriter on board um, for a job uh, and, and just to elevate the, the whole project. That's um, so, so I think just yeah, pairing it with the skills that you're interested in and that you enjoy is is good. Let's talk. You mentioned imposter syndrome there, and I think that's something mm-hmm. that pretty much every every yeah, person, but every yeah, every creative every person, person yeah, yeah. Yeah, can do. How I, I think imposter syndrome can be really crippling for creative work because as soon as you convince yourself you can't do something, then obviously you can't do it. Um, how do mm-hmm. you deal with imposter syndrome? Um, what advice do you have for anyone who who struggles with it, being a freelancer? And how does travelling and the the idea of maybe being a bit more isolated when you move to a new place, how mm-hmm. does that affect your ability to, to develop confidence? Um, so the, the imposter syndrome thing, I, I think sometimes, especially um, designers who are just starting out, I think sometimes they maybe think that imposter syndrome is something that they experience because of lack of experience. But actually, I've spoken to creative directors who experience it. And especially the more years that you work in the industry, the more expectation there is that you're going to be really, really good at what you do. Um, and so I, I th- think that for a lot of people, it never really goes away. And uh, But what that can do is it can stop you from, from trying your hand at new things, from taking on opportunities that are maybe or projects that are a bit bigger than what you've done before. Um, but that's really the only way that you can develop uh, and grow your business. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's something you kind of just have to do the things until you then feel like you're an, not an imposter for saying that you you, you design, you write copy, um, you're award-winning, um, you do keynote speeches. Um, I think you just have to throw yourself into the doing part and then talking about it becomes easier. Mm-hmm. Because something that I find is that uh, we, Kat and I recently put a call out for uh, women in Scotland who would be available for speaking events Um, And it was to help um, really encourage uh, event organizers to have better gender balance on their speaker panels. And, you know, many women said, great, I've never done a a talk before, but I would love to get involved. Whereas others got in touch to really tell us, you know, this is just not something I don't think I have anything to talk about. I don't think I have anything to share. And it's far from true. Um, Most of these women have personal experiences that a lot of people would want to hear about but it's that fear that they don't have something significant to say um, or of interest and it can really hold you back 
um, because it can prevent people from self-promotion, uh, for going for jobs that they could get, but they feel like they're not good enough for. It's, in, in, it's interesting you're doing that, I guess, putting those calls out, because um, I, I saw you doing that and I thought it was it was super interesting to see the amount of replies you get and the, mm. the amount of... Um, I know Ladies Wine and Design um, in Glasgow put on an exhibition and I, I, I said to the Ilka, I was blown away by the amount of people and names that were in that exhibition that I'd never heard of yeah. before. Yeah. Um, you're obviously quite a vocal champion for women within the design industry. Um, is it currently stands just now, what do you think are the biggest challenges to women either entering in design or progressing their career and what needs to be done as an industry for us to see more mm. women represented at the highest levels within both organisations but also, as you say, within conferences and, and other events? Uh, well, I think as, as, as designers, as creators, we solve problems for a living um, and yet we haven't solved the problem of gender inequality in our industry. And a lack of diversity in creative teams leads to a lack of diverse thinking. And that's a pretty big killer of creativity. So instead of seeing sexism and gender inequality as something that affects women, we have to start seeing it as something that affects everybody. And I think that there's a lot that both companies and individuals can do to change this. So companies can be offering flexible working and part-time roles and across all levels, particularly at senior levels, which would really help to ensure that women don't have to take a lower grade position after having children. Uh, the other big problem we have is there's, there's a pay gap um, and a culture of secrecy around pay is, is helping to maintain that pay gap because if people don't know what um, other people are paid, they can't know if their pay is fair. So I'm, I'm a big fan of transparent pay and promotion systems so that they're done fairly rather than being based on how many times you were able to go out after work and socialise with the boss. Um, and also as individuals, we can really be cha challenging these gender stereotypes promoting uh, women to speak at events, promoting their work, hiring them. Um, there's, it's, it's a multifaceted issue, but I feel really positively that there are a lot of people who want to see a change in our industry um, so that it survives, so that it thrives. And uh, the um, Kat and I are currently working on issue two of iMagazine, uh, which we started uh, in 2017. And... The issue focuses on this very topic and it's been really interesting to interview uh, people who work in the industry to get their take on it. But we also spoke to an organisation called Close the Gap and this is this is their remit. They, they, are, um, they exist to, to help promote women in the workplace. Uh, to create a fairer, fairer society. And I feel like I'm, I'm still learning myself about ways in which we can change the status quo. Uh, but I think if, you know, for, for any woman listening who works in industry, you know, be, be an advocate, be a champion of, of other women, support them, uh, join groups like Ladies Wine Design, because there's a group in Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, and also, you know, even if it scares you, get up and speak at events. Because there'll be there'll be a, there'll be a woman in the audience who you inspire to to be more visible and and perhaps they're a student perhaps they haven't yet got their first design job, and I think that by by kind of being champions for ourselves will will help. 
we, we could always talk about this for um, I guess a whole yeah. hour on its own. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's such a big thing, but it is. I think, as you say, I think the it needs to be a set of small actions that move that move the industry forward. And it is great to mm-hmm. to see people like yourself championing women and uh, underrepresented groups in design. But you spoke about doing that for the latest edition of iMagazine. So can you explain a bit mm-hmm. what 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 is iMagazine? Why did you establish it? And uh, what's been your biggest learnings from producing that? Um, well, iMagazine was just started as as this sort of first side project that the tits uh, created, and it was for fun and also an opportunity to write. Um, to the good thing about a magazine is it it allows you to kind of exercise a lot of different creative skills, and um, and also work with other people. And uh, the first issue that we did was failure, and uh, it was inspired by um, students at Edinburgh College. And um, I've been a mentor at Edinburgh College for a number of years, and I often found that they struggled to deal with projects that didn't go particularly well because many of them are exposed to very polished design work and they meet accomplished designers. And I didn't feel like they were hearing enough about the projects that don't go well or the failures that successful designers have experienced in their careers. So we um, we focused the first issue around failure and had a lot of fun creating it, um, but and a lot of challenges too. And then I, I almost thought we'll never do another one. That was too much work. That was too difficult. Uh, and here we are doing the second <laughs> issue. So uh, I think if you leave enough time, maybe it's like babies. If you leave enough time, you think it wasn't that hard, right? Well, you, um, you can so... let us know after after edition two whether it was uh, <laughs> worth it again. <laughs> Yes, I will do. Will do. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been great because I think as well I didn't realize at the time of creating it, but uh, it was going to really help me to stay connected to the design industry in Scotland. the The magazine um, features the work and the musings of creative talent in Scotland, so that's the focus of it. Uh, with each issue, the idea being that we focus on one area, one topic that is of interest to the industry. Um, and we didn't want to kind of exclusively target really established designers to work on it. We, we thought, wouldn't it be great if we're getting um, folk who are still studying design, people who are creative directors, all working towards content for, for the same magazine, that we can kind of see the industry from a wide perspective. Um, so yeah, as I, I sit here with 36 pages of it strewn across my <laughs> studio floor, and I do sometimes wonder why I started it, but uh, it's it has been really a great project to work on. But, well, I look forward to seeing that edition when it when it comes out. Hopefully, it's not too much pain to get it over the line. Um, you spoke there. No, not at all. <laughs> you spoke there about um, I guess students and emerging designers, and at, at one point, I guess we were all struggling or just trying to get that break into the industry and to you know get either a job or a, an opportunity how, how did you start out in the industry and how did you get a, an opportunity and then how important do you think it is once you've um, I guess made it to provide opportunities for other people um, so the in terms of how I got into the industry I had been studying design at Edinburgh College and uh, part of that included uh, a placement with an agency and that was the gate uh, an advertising agency and I just spent a week there coming up with ideas just that was all I did is just idea after idea after idea and after a week I was absolutely exhausted <laughs> and I thought to myself 
I want to do this for the rest of my life. Uh, I just get such excitement and energy from coming up with ideas. And um, so I'd, I'd never really had a moment in my life where I thought, I really want to be a graphic designer. It came from my love of creativity and ideas. And uh, when I'd, after I'd done that placement, once I'd finished the course, the, the, the agency got in touch and offered me my first position. So the first job I had was as an art director at that agency, and, and I was there for four years. And um, although the job title has changed, the, the ideas and, and visualizing them has remained kind of the same throughout my career. Um, in terms of supporting the next generation of creative talent, I think that people get a lot out of mentoring designers. Um, and the, the mentoring program that's now been established at Edinburgh College, it's quite remarkable how many people from industry have become involved in that, particularly in Edinburgh, but also further afield. And um, it makes such a difference because when students come to graduate, they, instead of feeling like the industry is this far removed and alien place, they know people in it. And they've been inside these design studios and they've worked on live briefs and they've produced creative work for real clients. And you can see the difference in their confidence, in their ability to get not only employed, but also to manage to stay in the industry um, and, and make a, a success out of it. So I'm, I'm a huge advocate of once you've become established yourself, then going back into colleges and universities. And even if it's just committing to doing a, a one-off class um, and, and the particular mentoring program that I have been a part of, they do things like guerrilla days. So you can go in and you can set the students a brief. You come back at the end of the day and, and judge the responses. And it's lovely to see creative work from students because they always have these amazing ideas um, and they're, they're full of energy and they are passionate about what they're doing. And I think that can only help you to become a better designer yourself when you're part of that. I think you're right. When we, whenever we've done um, mentoring in the past and we get involved in various things, I always think we get often more out of it than the emerging designers mm -hmm. do because you. Yeah, I, I yeah. think when you work at something every day and you've been doing it, it's easier to get a bit complacent about the opportunity or or where where you've where you've maybe got. And then um, when you see people that just want a chance and an opportunity, I think the amount of enthusiasm and ideas they have is is properly infectious. So I I, I do think it's a good thing to do because I think everyone gets a like gets a lot out of it mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. going back having a think about going back to your travels you've obviously been in loads of different countries what what's the what's the best place you've been what's the worst place you've been and how do you find traveling is has helped develop you as a creative person and as a designer oh the best and the worst place that's very difficult um i really have loved everywhere um but in terms of um, places that really stand out. Um, Japan holds a special place in my heart. I, ha I have been more than, than a couple of times and I really love the culture there. Um, it's, it's an incredible place. So Japan is definitely up there. New Zealand, 
for the outdoor adventures, for the beauty of it. Um, and, and some places that I really didn't know much about until I traveled there, which is Myanmar. Um, again, just culturally so different to anywhere I'd experienced incredibly welcoming people. Um, I don't think that there was any worst place, um, but I've definitely had a few worst hostels um, <laughs> and uh, maybe a couple of worst times. So um, traveling solo and, and getting sick uh, are the real low points. So I, I got um, an infection and ended up in a Thai hospital. Oh, well. And although a couple of weeks later and some heavy antibiotics, later i was i was better that was a real low point and interestingly um it's podcasts that sort of saved me uh that was the only thing i could do was was lie down and listen to podcasts and uh so if, I, if you want any recommendations i've got plenty i'll definitely um, take them from you so uh so yeah that's probably it and in terms of um how it's changed me i think I don't think that you can travel and not be changed by it. Um, I I think that in terms of creativity, I, I've never felt so energized. And I think that's to do with having a very different environment and different surroundings and constantly changing those. And I actually don't think that means you have to travel to the other side of the world to get that. I think it's just a reminder sometimes that if you stay in one place for a long time, uh, you form routines, which is completely natural, and you form habits. But it means that you stop kind of going to new places and exploring even your own home city. And um, and what I've tried to do is when I've reached places and I know I'm going to be there for a bit longer, I try to keep that mentality as if I've just arrived somewhere and I want to find like a new place to go and hang out, uh, an area to walk in I've never been before. Uh, and being exposed to lots of different countries' design and typography and architecture, it made such a difference to how creative I felt just all the time and, and the, the ideas I had being shaped by that environment. Um, so it was very refreshing. Um, and then just, just as a, a person, I guess, confidence and a feeling of independence um, and also when things don't go particularly well, um, I'm a little bit more resilient than I was um, and know that things can be fixed and all of these things when you are failing are just learnings. Do you know, it all sounds amazing. I'm going to have to try hard not to go back, quit the studio and just um, and just go travelling. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I love the idea of jam hot on tour. Oh, I, I like that know. too, actually. Um, it's, it's interesting, we were talking about in the studio this morning, we were talking about how we can't talk about trying to be more creative or get more ideas. We need to change habits and behaviours because I think regardless of how much you know that moving about and travelling gives you ideas, it's so easy to come into the studio or wherever you work, turn on your computer and just just sit in front of a screen all day and I think it's a it's something that more and more we're finding we have to work very very hard to to break out of yes I completely agree um and uh, I, I I do feel the same now, now that I've been in one place for six months it you do it takes effort but I think also it's um the other thing is is almost thinking about it slightly differently which is sometimes when we think, right, I need inspiration, so I need to find it from somewhere creative, when in actual fact, like just taking a class in something random, um, d doing things that are not necessarily part of your work, 
can lead you to experiences that then inspire you or maybe it triggers a conversation with someone that then leads to um, a different approach to a project or um, if you're in a bit of a creative rut it gets you out of it um, so yeah sometimes I think we we try and seek inspiration from design sources when it actually exists further outside of that realm so obviously this is the start of a new year and actually start of a new decade um, and mm-hmm. I imagine there'll be people that read your story and listen to your story and think I want to do that and what what advice would you give anyone thinking about either jacking in their job to go freelance and taking that risk or someone who's maybe stuck in a rut and does want to go travelling um, is there any like maybe one or a couple of bits of advice you you've say you've learned over the over the period um, I, I think that um, sometimes we see the, the idea of leaving um, a job as being a big risk. Um, but actually, for, for people who try freelance, some do it and think, God, why didn't I do this sooner? I love this. Other people do it for a bit and then go back into working for a company. Um, so I actually think that in terms of just an experience, if you're thinking about doing it, then you've got far more to gain from it than you do to lose. Because if you work, say, six months freelance a year and you think this is not for me, then that kind of helps in a way because you've maybe learned some skills or perhaps it's just confirmed that's not what you want to do. Um, And in terms of of traveling and doing it, I think making sure you have that, that strong network of people who you know you can reach out to to ask questions and to connect you with other people um, to be able to, to find clients. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, just approaching it with the idea that it could succeed and it could fail, so you may as well. You may as well give it a go if you're wondering. And I think for people who are considering it, sometimes I think you've already made up your mind. <laughs> if, if it's something that you're thinking about doing, you know you're going to do it. The question is just when. So if anyone listens to this and decides to book a plane ticket, quit their job, please do. I'm please so do. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll it, to your boss. I'm so sorry. If it, if it all goes wrong, you can go and stay with Kirsten on our um, couch in uh, Brussels. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a guarantee. That's <laughs> That's how my agency began. <laughs> yes. Well, one thing I was interested in is you've worked with an agency in freelance um, in Scotland, and now you've travelled about the world, and now you're based in another city. Having having all that experience and a bit of distance, what's your view in the Scottish designing creative scenes that currently stands, and how do you think it compares to other major cities in the world? Um, okay, so I'm a bit biased, but I do think that Scotland has an amazing creative industry and culture and uh, maybe it's something to do with our size but um, I feel like there's a lot of drive there's a lot of ambition um, and a real willingness to help each other Um, so I I noticed particularly among say small businesses and and freelancers um, one thing that I was quite keen to do was kind of connect with other freelancers Um, and there was a, a slack group of um, freelancers who work in animation, illustration, design, copywriting. And it's kind of grown quite a lot since I joined it. And it's lovely because if people have a question um, or they're faced with a particular client dilemma, they stick on the group and people just take time out of their day to help each other out. And I think that being part of some of the groups that exist in 
Scotland supporting uh, creatives has shown me that we are a very strong community um, and that many of us see each other as potential collaborators rather than competitors. Um, and I think that's a strength rather than a weakness. Um, in terms of what other countries are doing, um, I certainly noticed one of the things that when I was in Malaysia, I visited an art school um, because they were having their degree show and um, got shown around their studios and met some of the students and saw their work. And there was a lot of handcrafting going on. And this is the this was the graphic design course, but a lot of it was made by hand. And that was interesting to me because I think that potentially we do have an over-reliance on using the computer and designing on the computer. Um, so quite possibly the approaches are very different. Um, but I do think that the industry in Scotland is very strong and and also the fact that um, agencies in Scotland are winning international clients is a testament to that. Great. It's, it's quite interesting hearing someone from, like, that has travelled here and their perspective on it. Because um, I think there's a there's a very Scottish thing, I guess, not to big yourself up too much. So it's... Um, it's, yeah. it's interesting to see how we compare. Um, looking looking mm-hmm. forward then to the future. So you're in Brussels just now. Where where do you see the future taking you? Do you think you'll be content to stay in one place, having travelled so much, or can you find yourself getting itchy feet already to travel more? A good question. I think now that I'm based here, I'm trying to make the most of the connections within Europe, because Belgium is so close to Switzerland and France and. Um, you know, uh, traveling often is is an option and it's very easy. Um, but at the moment, I'm I'm quite enjoying not knowing um, and just seeing where opportunities take me. So I certainly haven't got any. I haven't planned anything beyond here, um, and just see what happens next. Uh, that sounds good. And uh, just to finish, I don't want to take too much more of your time because I realise that you've got a magazine to to get done. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm sure you're enjoying uh, not doing it at the moment. Um, uh, this is great procrastination. Yeah, I, I feel the same actually. Um, but to to kind of finish off, I think you've you've obviously achieved. Um, you've also achieved quite a lot in terms of your own career, having getting started, getting a break. You you move from a student to now you mentor students. Do you, having done all that, do you feel successful? And if yes or no, what does success feel or look like to you now and in the future? Oh boy, that is a hard question. Sorry, Um, that's quite a deep one, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, I think that, um, I guess it it depends on what definition of success, what, what the idea of success is. Um, do I feel like I've reached uh, my everything I've achieved and and um, I can do no more? Absolutely not. I think the thing that drives most creative people is that we know we've got so much more in us. We know we've got ideas we haven't done anything with. We know um, there are projects that we'd like to work on and things we'd like to learn. So it's, it's kind of motivating when you don't feel like you've quite succeeded. Um, but... As a kind of new definition of success for me, I've tried to see it more as am I enjoying the days, not kind of reaching an end point that feels successful, but am I enjoying getting there? Because there was a time when I was just adamant that I am going to become a creative director. That's what I want. That's what I want to do. 
um, and was working towards that. When in actual fact, I think I'd lost sight of the fact that it was less about becoming a creative director and more about will I enjoy my days and how I spend them. And I think at that point I realized that if whether I had the title or not, I would rather find uh, a lifestyle and um, a job that allowed me to just enjoy what I do each day rather than enjoy reaching a goal or, you know, an end point. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if I feel successful yet, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'll let you know when I do. <laughs> Thanks. So I'll that was a... I'm yeah. sorry for springing that really uh, oh, that really deep, challenging question on you right at the end there. No, no. I'll spend the rest of the day thinking about that. Thanks. No, you should go and do your magazine. <laughs> I choose. I don't. I, I don't want to be your excuse for not not uh, getting it out. But um, well, I, I just like to find. I think we spoke about some real interesting things, and I think your story will be really inspiring for anyone that wants to maybe change up what they're doing, do something different. So I really want to thank you for giving your time, um, and I thank hope you. I hope the next time we meet might be in uh, Brussels for some Belgian pastries and coffee. Um, that sounds great. Um, hopefully sometime um, sometime soon. But thank you so much for giving up your time. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And I look forward to our next meetup and to the next Gab Talks too. Fantastic. We will see you soon. Bye. Take care. Big thanks to Kirsten for some great chat there. Um, it's making me want to book a ticket to somewhere sunny. Um, and thanks very much for you all to listening. Please do give the podcast a like, comment or share. We'd really appreciate that a lot. And thanks to the team at Big Mouth Audio in Glasgow for putting the podcast together. You can check out more Gab podcasts and details of upcoming events in Glasgow on the website gab.scot. So until next time, thanks for joining us for a Gab.